We're so glad that you've tuned in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jennifer Akers, and I'm the Associate Worship Pastor here at Rolling Hills. As we've been in our current series, Christmas, the Supporting Cast, we've been exploring the lesser-known stories of Christmas, and today we're looking at Anna's story. A widow at a young age, Anna knew what it was like to walk through trials, yet she remained faithful. She remained in a posture of gratitude and worship, trusting God to come through and waiting for the Messiah. So dive into Anna's story with us today as we see what God's word has to teach us. We're so glad you're here. for me to be with you today. There is no place I would rather be than right here at my home church on Sunday morning this morning at Christmas time. So I'm so thankful. I'm going to be talking about Anna the prophetess and we're going to be looking at her life today. And it was pretty interesting because a few weeks ago I was over here at the offices and Pastor Jeff Jeff asked me if I would speak on um, Anna the prophetess. And I said, that sounds great, but aren't there only like three verses about her. And Jeff said, yeah. And I said, okay, well, then can I dip into Simeon? Because there's a few more verses on him a bit bit earlier. And he said, no, I have Simeon. And I said, okay, well, we'll see. Church might get out early because, you know, three verses. So I'm not really sure what to do. And I went back and I started really digging into those three verses and digging into her life. And it was so interesting because the problem became... um, not how would I fill 35 minutes, but what would I possibly have to leave out? Because there is that much here. And don't worry, I, I, I got it down to 35, so you won't be here all day. But there is so much in these verses. But before we get to this text, I, just, I really want us to take some inventory about where we are in this season as we are just a few weeks out from Christmas. And there's so many expectations. There's so much in this season that can be difficult. And when we're always striving and we're really always warring between the ideal of Christmas and what's real of Christmas. It's always between the two. And the Hallmark movies remind us of the ideal of Christmas. That is why we make ourselves sit through them year after year. And we listen to the exact same story over and over. Just, just different characters, but the identical story over and over. That's, that, that's what Hallmark gives us because it's the ideal of Christmas. And we're trying to strive for the ideal versus what is actually real of Christmas. And the ideal, the cultural ideal is so empty. And it doesn't give us what we are longing for. But the real of Christmas is the true answer. And that's what Anna understood. And that's what I want to talk about today. But I just want to tell you about how the Lord has been priming me for this. Because as I was preparing to speak on this a few weeks ago for uh, a Christmas event, I 
I had gotten uh, up in the morning and I was ready to kind of get ahead of things. And I don't know how you are, but I like to get ahead of Christmas or I, I never have, not one single time in my 46 years have I gotten ahead. But I like the idea that this is going to be the year that I'm going to get ahead. And, and so the day after Thanksgiving, I went out and I got my tree. And it was amazing. I went to a tree lot where they actually named the trees. It was fantastic. It was all I could do not to take home Derrick Henry, but he was going to be a little large for my space. And so I took home Lou, which wasn't nearly as exciting of a name, but I got Lou home and, and I, put, I put her in, 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 the, in the thing of water and I was going to, that morning I was going to get up, I was going to pull my Christmas message together, I was going to decorate the tree and I had the whole day laid out and it was just going to be a serene um, d- day, a peace And nothing that I had planned went as planned that day. And nine days later, Lou was still sitting in a bucket of water, naked, in the middle of my living room. And I was so mad. It was about 9.30 at night, and I sat down, and she's right across from me. Not one light on there. My Christmas message had not been pulled together. And I I was hot, And I thought, you know what, if I had a husband, that tree would be up. If I had some more help, my message might have have had the time to get my message pulled together. I was so mad. I was looking all around me. And it didn't help that earlier that day I was walking down my street trying to get back in the spirit in prayer. And I walked by the people across the street. And the woman across the street from me, she's a designer. So she was out designing the outside of the home. And it was just impeccable. I was like, oh, hi, your house looks so beautiful. How did you get those lights up on the roof? Oh, my husband, that's what he does every year. He goes up on the roof and he hangs the lights. I said, that sounds great. That must be nice. And so then I went and and, and I was stewing and I was sitting there and I thought, you know what, I still have pumpkins and mums on my front porch and people judge you for that kind of behavior where I live. And I was so mad And I sat there with this text open, and I thought, Lord, why am I so mad? I'm not mad about the tree not being, that's not it. It's that all of this exposes the gaps in my life, right? We think it's about the tree. We think it's about that the pumpkins are still there, but it all was just exposing what I'm still longing for, what I'm still waiting for, what's still not right, what I, and how I want to be seen as a head and on top of it, and I'm not. And I was mad about all of those much, much, much deeper issues. And, I, and, and as I sat with the Holy Spirit, it was like, Kelly, are you going to go in this Christmas, and are you going to give yourself to the ideal of Christmas? Because if you're going to give yourself to the ideal, Lou needs some lights. But if you're going to give yourself to what's real about Christmas, then this can be a season unlike any other. And I committed. I still went to bed a little mad, but I committed in that moment (laughs) that I was going to give myself to the Lord this season in a new way. So I want to read all three verses this morning out of Luke chapter 2. And this is what he writes about Anna the prophetess. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, 
she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these three verses. Thank you for what it tells us about redemption. Lord, I confess today that I can do nothing without you. We have nothing here today if we don't have you. So, Lord, we thank you that you're here with us, that you're present with us. And would you do in this space what only you can do? And we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, I want to look at Anna's history, her home, and her hope. That's it. We're going to look at her history, her home, and her hope, because that's really what Luke gives us in these three verses. Now, as we just read, I think it's interesting for us to understand that when Luke was putting his gospel together, especially those first two chapters, the infancy narratives, he really wanted us to see God's plan of salvation. We could get into that, but Luke really wanted to make evident that God has had a plan of salvation for all of us from the beginning. Another thing that Luke really likes to do, and he does it throughout his gospel in Luke and in the book of Acts, but he loves to parallel men and women. And so you see a lot given to Zechariah and Elizabeth, and you also see here the pairing of Simeon and Anna. And Luke esteems women in a very, very patriarchal society where women did not have these prominent places. And Luke highlights them throughout his gospel. It's pretty incredible when you see what he's doing here. And he likes to parallel men and women. So he has them together. And that shows not only that both men and women would have essential roles in God's kingdom and in his mission to this world, but also that the gospel is for all people. So it's not a coincidence that Simeon is one of the witnesses and also Anna is one of the witnesses that testify about the Christ child. So in verse 36, we see the history of Anna. We see these biographical details. And Luke tells us right off, before he even gives us her name, he says that she is a prophetess which is a really big deal because I thought this was fascinating. Anna in the New Testament is the only named prophet. She is the only named prophet in all of the New Testament. So already she is set apart in a special way. We also know that from Jewish tradition, there were only seven um, thought of prophetesses in the Old Testament. People like Deborah, Esther, Abigail, Hannah, Sarah, there were just a handful. And Anna was after the order of these Old Testament prophetesses. Now, we don't know how it happened. We don't know all that she did. But we know that the prophets, by God's design, spoke on behalf of God. And they had eyes to see things that the ordinary person could not see. And so they could speak and be a voice for God. And so she has a very special, very specific role here. So she's a prophetess. Then he gives us her name. Her name is Anna. We think, okay, well, that's great. That's a lovely name. We, we love that name. But we find out that the name Anna actually means God's grace. And we'll dig into that in just a moment. But God's grace. So that's not a coincidence. 
We also find out that Anna is simply the Greek word for the Hebrew name Hannah. Is that a coincidence? I don't think it is because if you will remember in your Old Testament, Hannah was another very important woman of God, also uh, considered a prophetess because she spoke some pretty powerful things back then. But if you'll remember, Anna was barren. Just like Anna is a widow and a woman in longing, Hannah was a woman longing to have a child. In fact, her husband Elkanah at one point said to her, am I not better to you than ten sons? And she basically said, no, you're not. You are great, but no, you are not. I want a son. I want to have my family name carried on. And so she went to the house of the Lord in Shiloh to worship, just like Anna goes to the house of the Lord. In her waiting, she goes to the Lord in her pain. In fact, Hannah is the first one to call God Lord of hosts or the Lord of armies, all-powerful. She's the first one to call him by that name. And we see Anna is one of the first to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. These are, I don't believe, coincidences. We also see that Hannah sits in a very important part of Israel's story. She is a transitional character between when God was ruling through the judges and the monarchy. Eventually, God opens Hannah's womb, and she has Samuel. What does Samuel go on to do? He goes on to anoint Israel's first king, Saul, and then he goes on to anoint King David. Oh, Hannah had a very transitional role, and then we see Anna has a very transitional role between the old covenant and the new covenant. Can you imagine when Hannah was pouring out her heart to the Lord in, the, in, in um, the place of worship. Can you imagine as she's pouring out her heart that she could have ever imagined that she would have a son that would anoint King David and that there would be a prophecy that the Messiah would eventually come and sit on the throne of King David and reign forevermore. We, Jeff says it a lot here that God does more than we could ask or imagine. There's no way Hannah had that on her mind. There's no way that Anna had all on her mind that, that, that what was happening. But God is at work. And so you say, okay, so what, what, what difference does it make that they share the same name or what does it matter? And, and that they share some of these same characteristics. Well, for starters, it shows us that God has had a plan of salvation from the beginning. Jesus does not just fall out of nowhere. This was the plan from the beginning. And, and as God is working toward redemption in Hannah and in all that she represents, now we see him also working redemption that Anna gets to testify to. So she's a prophetess. Her name is Anna. And by the way, in first century uh, Judaism, there were not a lot of women named Anna. It's not a common name found in the historical books. God's grace well, then it says that she is the daughter of Phanuel. Another just kind of odd characteristic here. But we find out that the name Phanuel means face of God. It also can mean the favor of God. So what do we get here? We get Anna's name, God's grace. 
And then we get the very face of God, which is the favor of God. And I think so often we sometimes think that God is up there in the sky and he's a policeman and he's a judge and he's just ready for us to make a misstep. And here we say, oh, no, the face of God is the favor of God. It's, it's the goodness of God in, in, in bringing Jesus and it's the grace of God. And, and, and again, perhaps you came in here today and, and you're behind you're, you're behind on Christmas, but it's not about being behind on all of that that's really bothering you. It's, it's where your soul is. It's, it's, it's the inside. And you're trying to strive and you're trying to earn and you're trying to get your house better so your heart feels better. And here we, we just come in and we just say, God's grace, the face of God on us, the favor of God on us. We're getting all of this. And then, and then he lets us know, that she is from the tribe of Asher. Now, I know that that is an extremely exciting detail for everybody in this room today, right? You were just waiting. You were hoping that you would get that bit of information. And it's so interesting because I think, Luke, Luke, you only have three verses. That's all you get. Tell us, like, what her Enneagram number is. (laughs) I mean, was she a two? Was she a helper? Is that why she was in the temple? Was she like me? Was she a one? And she was in the temple because that's just simply the right thing to do? Um, Did did she color her hair at 84 years of age? What what, what was it like when she lost her husband? Give us something else. Tribe of Asher? You got this much space. Tribe of Asher. You go back to Genesis And remember the story of Jacob and his two wives, Rachel and Leah, and their slave girls? Ooh, the Bible's messy. And out of that whole system comes the 12 tribes of Israel, which make up Israel. And one of those sons, who's from Leah's slave girl, is named Asher, which means happy. And Leah says, oh, now that my slave girl has had a son, the women will call me happy, so I will name him Asher. And out of all of that, God invites, even all the way back in Genesis, a slave girl that everybody else would have looked down upon, that would have just been on the outskirts, low in society. She gets invited into a story. She gets to be the mother of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. But Asher goes even deeper. Because when you get into the New Testament, what are the tribes that you hear about? You hear about the tribe of Judah. Because that's the tribe that King David came from. That's the tribe that Jesus Christ came from. Judah's part of the southern kingdom. That's where Jerusalem is. That's where all the focus has been. And when you look in the New Testament, every person who names a genealogy, they are either from the tribe of Judah or from Benjamin or from Levi. Nobody is named in the New Testament as having been from one of the ten northern tribes of Israel. Well, it's a little bit more significant than that because you remember when the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom broke. And the ten tribes were exiled. But they never really came back. Now, when the southern kingdom was exiled... To Babylon, remember the Lord came and he brought them back. Brought them back. Jerusalem, that's where the focus had been. The ten tribes of 
of the northern tribes, they're considered oftentimes the lost ten tribes. And so we read along and we think, tribe of Asher, great. And this man, Richard Bauckham, as I was studying this, I love what he said. This will not be up on the screen. I just want you to hear this. He says, as a descendant of the exiles of the tribe of Asher, Anna ensures that the community represented in the narrative is Israel as a whole. Northern tribes as well as southern. And then I love this next part. Exiles as well as inhabitants of the land. Exiles as well as inhabitants of the land. Simeon represented the southern kingdom of Israel. Anna comes stepping in and represents those lost ten tribes. That Christ would come for all of Israel, but he would also be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. That the gospel would go to the whole world. And maybe today you feel an exile. Maybe you feel on the outside. Maybe you feel like if you were to be named, you would be part of the lost ten tribes. And Anna stands there as a representation of exactly the kind of person that Jesus Christ has come to save and to redeem. Ooh, tribe of Asher. We could go a long time on this one. I love it. So Luke gives us what we need to know. He continues on with these biographical details, and he says that she was well along in years. Did you notice how diplomatic Luke is here, too? She's not old. She is well along in years. She'd been a widow for 84 years. She was probably about 105 years old, and that's significant because, again, here is an older widowed woman in a strongly patriarchal society, and very clearly God has a plan for her life. She's not wasting her life. She's not like, oh, I'm 105, and oh, I've been single for 84 years. She, she's, she's valuable. She's essential. And actually, her singleness and her age allows her to serve in the temple uninhibited. Because when you were in the childbearing years, you were often ceremonially unclean. But for an older woman and for a widow... She was always ceremonially clean. She was uninhibited. She could serve in the temple. So she's she's well along in years. She was married for seven. I think about the fact married for seven years. And her husband dies. Again, in a patriarchal culture. She's not a wealthy woman. How will she provide for herself? And yet her name means grace of God. Her father's name means face of God. And I have to just ask myself, did she feel God's grace when she lost her husband? We go in and out of those seasons, don't we? We walk through grief. We walk through hard times. And we wonder if these things mean anything. I wonder if she doubted the goodness of God. I wonder if she doubted the grace of God. I wonder if as she was waiting for so long, 84 years, waiting for this redemption to come, if there were times that she went into the temple giving up hope, wondering if God's grace would really be there. So she's widowed for 84 years. 
She's marginalized on some respects because she's from the northern tribes. She's a female. She's single. And here's what we see. This is the first thing I want to highlight for us today. God took Anna's biographical details and turned them into spiritual blessings. God took Anna's biographical details and he turned them into spiritual blessings. And I just wonder where you are today. Your age, your gender, your marital status, your spiritual gifting. God had given her the gift of being a prophet. There's so much here that, you know, where you're from, your history, the things that you love about your heritage, the things you can't stand about your heritage, the things you can control, the things you can't control. All of this, all of this, the good and the bad, it's all packaged up. Maybe she had always longed that she had been from the tribe of Judah. Maybe she didn't want to be from the northern tribe, the lost tribes. Maybe, but God takes every bit of it. He takes all the biographical details, and because she'd given herself to the Lord, he turns them into spiritual blessings that will make a difference in God's kingdom here on earth. I absolutely love that. So that is Anna's history. And now I want to talk about her home. Verse 37, in the middle, it says, She did not leave the temple serving God night and day. We'll talk about more in just a moment about what she did in the temple. But I think what's so significant here is that she didn't leave the temple. Now, that does not mean that she lived in the temple. She probably did not live in the temple. Um, There are those people that, you know, you see at church all the time, and you're like, do you live here? Like, do you sleep here? Uh, Because they're always about the work of God, and that's probably what was going on with Anna. But she was there, and and think about more than likely she probably had to come from the north because that tribe of Asher, there were a few people that did resettle in the north. And, And more than likely she traversed all the way down to Jerusalem specifically to give herself to the work of the Lord. And Luke wants us to see that, that this, this incredible woman, she didn't waste her time, she didn't waste her years, but she, she really made her home about the heart of God, um, not about the house, not about the structure. And so, yeah, I want to highlight that for us too, that Anna made her home about God's heart, not about a house. She made her home about God's heart, not about a house. Now, that actually really speaks to me right now. Because I'm a homebody, and I love a beautiful house. I just love a house. I love walking into house. Like, I wish my house looked like this or over there. Maybe slightly updated chairs, but over there. And, and I, I want to have, like, this beautiful house. And I, I ta- and I love, you know, trying to, like I said, get ahead of Christmas. It's never happened, but I like the idea of getting ahead and having everything be the way I want it. Well, I've had construction this year, and I was so excited because they started in May, and it was guaranteed to be done by Thanksgiving, so it was going to be all new and big and wonderful and ready, and it's not done, and, 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 you know, they said Christmas, and they have absolutely guaranteed me that it will be ready by Easter of 2024. So I am living in half of a house. All of my stuff is in the front of the house. It's a wreck up until just a few days ago. My tree wasn't decorated. And because of some things that were left open, I also have a raccoon. And it's disgusting. Everything about the whole thing and, and all manner, the mice in the basement, it's just everything came in as soon as it got cold. And the builders have been so sweet and so kind, and they've been trying to get rid of it. But would you believe it? We thought it was gone. And at 5 o'clock this morning, 
my alarm was set to go off at 5.10. At 5, I was woken up by just vicious activity in my attic right above my bed. So it was the raccoon. And the Lord's like, you need 10 more minutes today. I'm getting you up early. And so I got up and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. It had been a week since I thought it was, I thought they had sealed it up. I, this is getting just disgusting. I'm tired of living in half of a house. I'm tired of there being rodents in my home. And, and so I went to the front door and everything was dark. And I thought maybe I could see activity because my bedroom's near the front of the house. And, and maybe I could tell if the raccoon's in and out. And while I can hear the raccoon above me, I look out my door and I promise you, there is a possum sitting on my porch staring me down at 5.30, and it is the size of a farm animal. (laughs) And it scared the living daylights out of me. And if you don't think there's brokenness or evil in this world, I dare you to stare into the face of a possum. (laughs) Just do it one time. And it stared at me today, and I, I promise you, it looked at me like, I dare you to leave your house this morning. And it was between me and the car, and I really, I literally had this legitimate thought. I thought, I'm going to have to call Jeff, and somebody's going to have to take the message. I cannot get out of my house. What will I do if he is still here in 45 minutes? And again, it was that whole, like, this is not how I want to go in. This is not how I want anything about my house this year. Everything's driving me crazy because I want the house. And the Lord keeps saying, get the heart Get the heart right. Get your heart, get, just settle into the heart. And, and so I, I want to ask you today, how did you leave your house this morning? How did you leave your home this morning? And I'm not talking about, like, did you, are there still dishes in the sink or is the bed unmade? Is the Christmas tree not quite ready? Is it, did you leave, was there a possum in the yard? I don't know how you left your house, but, but the, what the Lord's been driving home for me this season is in your home, is, is there peace? Is there joy? Is there contentment? Is there hope? Is there life? While everything else is just a wreck. And there's not really a Christmas ideal going on. But there's the real of it. And over the last few weeks, I've been so thankful. I've just been having people over anyway. Just been having them over anyway. And people have come in, and, and we've had prayer time around the table. We've had laughter. We've had testimony. We've had fellowship. We've had joy. And if you came in today and there's, there's friction and there's chaos and there's discontentment, even if the home looks great or the house looks great, say, so how can we make our home about the heart of God? This Christmas, that's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to transform. And it is the far bigger task and it is the far more glorious gift. Well, not only did did Anna make her home about the heart of God, but she was fasting and she was praying. Um, she, it, I love how it says that night and day she was serving God. Some of your Bibles will say worshiping God. But it's actually a a, a, a service that is a form of worship. So while she's doing the things uh, for other people and while she's going about the Lord's business, it is an act of worship. And so even though Anna is waiting, she is a symbol of longing. 
and she has been alone for 84 years, and every year she's waiting for something to change. She's waiting for something to be different, and in the middle of all of that, look what she does with her waiting. She's about God's business, and that's what I love about Rolling Hills. I love this church because the heart of this church is people, whether they're in secular vocational or full-time ministry, this church is about giving our lives to the worship of God. Day and night, prayer, fasting. Have you fasted recently? Fasting is such a good discipline to add into our lives, to remind ourselves that he is the most important, that he is the one who sustains us and that we need him. And the service of God. I love, I love this and I want to highlight this as well. That Anna didn't waste her waiting. She worshipped in it. Anna did not waste her waiting. She worshipped in it. What are you doing with your waiting? I'll just tell you right now, there's nobody in this room that can turn in on themselves faster than I can. I can get so down and, and, and petty and, well, I just don't want to do it anymore. I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired for these things to change. I've tried. I've done this for the Lord, and this hasn't happened, and that hasn't happened. And I'm just, and the Lord just keeps saying, Kelly, what are you going to do with your weight? Waiting is actually an avenue. It's an avenue. It can be a vehicle for service, for worship for being about the things of God. And so what are you doing with your waiting? Don't, don't, don't turn in on yourself this season. Give yourself to the things of the Lord. Anna didn't waste her waiting. She worshiped in it. And now I want to I close with her hope. So we have her history. We have her home. And we have her hope. Verse 38, at that very moment, she comes up and she begins to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. I love that at that very moment. That means that she comes up at what moment? At the moment that Simeon is holding the Christ child and is prophesying to his mother and father about what his life will be like and about the gospel, she comes up at that very moment. And I love this, that if you are a child of God and you are a Christ follower, you're not going to miss it. You don't have to worry about missing it. You don't have to manipulate God this Christmas. You don't have to arm wrestle him into anything. You don't have to fight with your relatives. You can just let God be God and go into the season and look for those kinds of moments. At that very moment, she was led of the Spirit, and she comes up, and she recognizes that this is the Christ child. And she begins to thank God, but she also begins to go and talk about who? him, Jesus. And she goes to a very specific type of person. She goes and she begins to talk about him to those who are longing for the redemption of Jerusalem. I was sitting with a professor at the seminary that I'm at a few weeks ago he has multiple PhDs, and we were talking about all of these Old Testament things. And at one point, he looked up at me, and he goes, okay, real quick, real quick, real quick, what does the word redemption mean? And I thought, oh, he knows all the languages. He's, gonna, he's trying to trick me here. And I thought, oh, it's, it's like to buy back. It's to purchase. It's to rescue. It's to restore. It's a... And he said, you're trying way too hard. 
He said, redemption means to fix what's broken. And he said, if you go back and you look in the Old Testament and the New Testament, he said, you constantly see God breaking through to fix what's broken. And I thought, as I was reading this, I thought, Anna, I can just imagine her. This is not just a one-time telling. This is an ongoing proclamation that she's running through. And she's like, are you one of the ones that's longing for broken things to be fixed? Are you one of those people? Because I found him. Are you one of the ones that's longing for sins to be forgiven? Are you one of the ones that's longing for peace and hope and contentment and joy and to not be afraid any longer? Are you one of those people? Because if you're one of them, then he's here. The Redeemer is here. And he's for all of us. Anna's hope wasn't in the perfect Christmas, but in a redemptive God. Oh, church, don't put your hope in the perfect Christmas this year. Forget it. Watch Hallmark for that. Forget it. Put your hope in the redemption of King Jesus. He is the one, remember, angel Gabriel says to Mary, and you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And there is no greater brokenness than my life or in your life than our sin. And Jesus Christ has come by grace and through faith alone to save you and to save me from our sin. And that is the redemption story. That is the real of Christmas. And I would, I would urge you, please, if that is unclear for any of you, uh, Jeff and I will be up here this morning. Don't leave here. Don't leave here without putting your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ today. Lord, thank you that we don't have to live for a romantic, ideal of Christmas. Lord, you have come to save us. You're the Redeemer. You're the Savior. Salvation is found in no other but in Christ and Christ alone. And we give you praise today. And let us be like Anna. Let us go out and let us not stop talking about the redemption that has come to earth. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.